Welcome to the Saturday Night Live post-show recap. My name is Mike Bloom. It's weird to be in the driver's seat. Uh, I've only done it a couple of times, but uh, unfortunately, Rich Tackenberg left the podcast last week. For those of you that are not caught up or did not tune in, uh, we, we will miss Rich on this podcast. But SNL sallies forth as it covers its 13th episode of the season, fourth in a row here in 2018 with host Natalie Portman, musical guest Dua Lipa, and I am joined by someone who I'm extremely excited to talk to. I've talked with him a bunch over the course of the Survivor Historians, which sort of gave me my start in podcasting four years ago. But I knew this man first and foremost as not only a huge Survivor fan, but a huge SNL fan as well. Someone who has most recently written on his website about the late 2000s, early 2010s. So I'm so excited to bring him here to get his opinions on this current episode and current season of SNL. And uh, I'll announce this right now. The future writer of I Still Know What Jews Did Last Summer, Mario Lanza. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's very exciting to be here, Mike. And uh, it's nice to see you driving the car for a change. I see the student has become the teacher. So well done. Yeah, I finally got my learner's permit, which means that I can have a more, uh, you know, a more experienced SNL fan in the passenger seat beside me. So I introduced you a bit last week, but, but I, I feel like it, I did not do you probably enough service considering the the place that you sort of held in the in the SNL fan community for some time. And a lot of people probably know you through the Survivor Historians or the Funny 115. But again, as I mentioned before, you are a giant SNL fan as well. Can you just talk a little bit about your history with the show and sort of your involvement in the fan community specifically? Yeah, this is one of those things that not a lot of people know about me. It's kind of on the down low because I try to, you know, uh, section my fan base into one area or another that people know me now as a survivor writer. I write about the show um, Survivor, obviously. But years before that, I was an SNL writer. I was I did episode reviews on the Internet. I uh, ran fan sites. I did countdowns. I was always trying to trying to stick up. I was the guy who would always kind of stick up for the show during the dark years. And uh, I mean, there was a lot of dark years there, kind of in the late 90s or in the mid 90s. But that that's my backstory that I'm an SNL fan. I have not missed an episode since I believe 1985. It's been a long time. I have been the guy, the the guy, the, the lighthouse keeper in the storm. Just when all these SNL fans were dropping off the face of the earth, I'd always be saying, you know, there's still good stuff on this show. And I was even writing about this up until recently. I did an SNL Funny 115, which was my favorite sketches between 2000 and 2015. So it's like this is still very current in my life. SNL is probably my all-time favorite TV show. And again, it's been around – it came out the year after I was born. I was born in 74. It came out in 75. So I cannot remember a time in my life where it wasn't like a big part of it. And I will even go even further than that. When I first started on the internet, when I first started writing things, I used to do SNL episode recaps and I became known, this is like 1995, 96, right kind of in the dawn of the internet when I was just writing stuff because I was bored during college or, you know, at home. And then my big shtick was I was the Will Ferrell guy. Everybody knew me as the guy who loved Will Ferrell. And this is in an era when hardly anybody liked SNL. And so I was writing all these columns like this guy, Will Ferrell is so good and he's amazing. And it's like, you're just shouting to this deaf world that nobody cared because SNL was considered dead by then. And so I ended up making a website called Will Ferrell's Top SNL Moments. And it was indeed the first Will Ferrell fan site on the Internet back in, I would say, 97, 96, somewhere in there to the fact that he or to the point that he later, 
you know, sent me an autographed picture and said it was great. And again, that was that was me. That was my reputation. I'm the Will Ferrell guy. I would just never shut up about this guy. Will Ferrell's amazing. And you people don't give him enough credit. So that's my history. I go way back. And it's kind of funny that uh, I was going to come on here and I was going to, you know, rave. Oh, I haven't missed an episode since 85. It's amazing. You've never seen someone with this much extensive knowledge on the show. And then I was reading Rich Tackenberg's bio, the guy I'm replacing, obviously. And he said, oh, he hasn't missed an episode since 84. So my not missing an episode <laughs> since 85 is actually a downgrade. So I, I apologize for the downturn in quality you're about to get in a person who missed that crucial 84 to 85 year. Yeah, to be fair, maybe those tapes were lost in the fire that purged the 85 cast as well. That's so what that's like a very Penelope like thing. I actually was watching the show since 84. Um, yeah. I, I have everything on VHS. Yeah, he went up to me. It's terrible. So but again, I do want to give thanks to Rich. Um, I love his work. He's a big name in the podcast community. And I can only hope that I can come in here and uh, bring one tenth of the joy and insight that he brought. He 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 will indeed go down in history as the great Wally Pip, and I can only hope that I'm the young, humble Lou Gehrig that can come in and replace him. I know one of those names, but not the other, uh, <laughs> and that's up to you guys to guess which one. Okay, just to, to sort of finish up your SNL resume, do you have any favorite cast members or eras from those countless number of years that you've watched? Absolutely. I will say – well, my all-time favorite is still Will Ferrell, and this is something I don't know. I'll, I'll probably be saying this a lot on the show, but Will was the man, the guy that stand out. He was, you know, he was the Eddie Murphy of his cast. Mm-hmm. But what was what was so special about Will, and this is something that gets lost, I feel, that Will was also the Phil Hartman of the cast. He was also the straight man. He would always be the dad, the, the glue. He would sell other people's jokes. So he was the Eddie Murphy and the Phil Hartman of his particular era. And no one has ever done that even close. I mean, maybe you could talk about Dan Aykroyd or something like that. But Will Ferrell is the man. And that was, I mean, that's just, he's my all-time favorite. I don't think anybody else is even close. Although I am an especially big fan of the era from about 2007 or eight through about 2015, and this is the era that I kind of wrote about on my SNL Funny 115 because it was largely apolitical. The show wasn't especially you know, interested in taking on the president or writing about politics. So it was very silly and very mm-hmm. character based. And you had the digital shorts and stuff. And I just as a comedy writer myself, that's the era that really jumped out at me of just people doing the type of stuff I would like to do on the show. And so I was kind of say it's when right after Kristen Wiig leaves, I wasn't a really big Kristen Wiig fan, but after Wiig leaves and up until about the election of Trump, that's my that's my favorite recent era of SNL. And you have that and then the uh, the original cast and then the late 90s, the Will Ferrell years. Those are really my three specialty eras. So then, uh, you know, I, I feel like I may already know the answer to this question, but so we, we've had, you know, arguably maybe a new era started in your opinion with this recent season, season 43. We lost Bobby Moynihan, Vanessa Bear, uh, you know, Sashir Zameda, and we've sort of have sallied forth, becoming a little bit more politically oriented. What have you thought about season 43 so far? I will personally say I'm not really the biggest fan of the season. And it's it's odd to me that it gets so much press and attention. I mean, it's it's really kind of not even specifically this season, but since the election. And mm-hmm. the, the the reason I say that is because, again, SNL was largely not political for about eight years during Obama because they really had nothing to talk about. So it was very really silly and it was very uh, comic writer based. And then they were all clan- kind of planning for the future. You could see them planning for Hillary to become president. That was they were going to anoint Kate as the next big star of the show. And that election really threw them for a loop. 
it really was not, I mean, it threw everyone for the loop, obviously, but it wasn't where they were expecting the show to go with all of a sudden Trump's going to be president and they have to just be angry about it and stuff. So I think they're still kind of recovering from that. And it, to me, it's one of those things. They didn't have the writing staff, the cast, everything set up to have a super political, angry show. And then they lost a couple of people along the way, Taryn and Vanessa, especially those two were big. Losing Vanessa yeah. Bayer was huge. She did everything. And I, I think they're still trying to figure out their voice and where they stand and kind of who their standouts are right now. Like, it's not a, a bad show. I've seen much worse seasons than this. I just find it especially kind of uninteresting and uh, sloppy would be kind of the word I was thinking. Just a lot of stuff seems kind of thrown together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, it's not nothing to do with the cast. I think a lot of the cast is great. I've always liked the cast and the writers. I think a lot of the people on the show are amazing right now, as good as pretty much anyone who's been before. But it does seem like the type of show they weren't expecting to do. That's the one thing that always jumps out at me. They they weren't expecting this era, and they're still getting their feet wet on how to handle this. Yeah, and I've sort of been beating this drum a bit as well over the course of the podcast. So season 43, I mean, it's always tough when you have these bounce back year, not bounce back, but I guess sort of recovery years after, you know, election years tend to be big sort of boon seasons because you can sort of have something to orient your comedy and your commentary around. And so the year after can always be a little trepidatious as to what uh, you're exactly pulling off there. And it's clear, as you said, that I think, I still think they had a dynamite season with season 42 and with the departure of their head writers and a little bit of the reshuffling and trying to deal with, okay, how do we handle the political stuff? Do we keep Alec Baldwin on? Do we instead bring on somebody else? Do we even mention it? Seems like they're really going for the former, but as a result, I feel like, as you mentioned, the cast is super duper strong. The writing has been a little spotty. I think there's been some good stuff here and there, but nothing, uh, nothing steady and outstanding. Now, that being said, sort of segueing into this episode, uh, I enjoyed this episode. Uh, I thought this was, it was, it was pretty good all around. There wasn't anything that I outright disliked that I thought really didn't work. It felt like everything, much like that Will Ferrell episode, which I know I lavish praise upon, Mario, I know you lavish praise upon last week in your own social media regards. I think we both agreed that that was both our favorite episode of the season so far. <laughs> Um, I, I think there was a lot of interesting, fun stuff going on here. I thought Natalie Portman was very game in particular. They they gave her more, you know, interesting things to do in her first episode out, uh, you know, 12 years ago at this point. She had that big moment with the rap, but otherwise she was put in sort of those straight man roles that usually put those first time hosts, those dramatic actors that you really don't know what to do with. They let her do a little, little bit more weird stuff here, which I was excited about, and she seemed very game for it. Going to my rankings, initially I had this one pretty low, actually. Initially I had it down at number nine, below Sam Rockwell and above James Franco, just because, again, I thought it was a really solid episode, but there weren't any sketches that I liked as much as The Race or Papyrus or Kelly Wise or what even matters anymore. But the more I sort of talked with people about it on social media and the more I sort of marinated in it before we took the time to record this podcast, I realized that it's most likely going to end up much higher than I initially ranked it. I won't say anything right now, but I'm hoping over the course of our discussion, we'll be able to really parse out where I might put it at the end of the day. But all that being said, what did you think about this Natalie Portman episode? The funny thing about me is that I have almost no middle ground when it comes to SNL. I completely am not interested whatsoever, or I love it and thought it was the greatest thing. So like, it's, it's going to be weird for me to be on the show because I'll be a little different dynamic than you. I will say... 
that, yeah, we we talked about the Will Ferrell episode last week, and I did say I, I thought it was probably the best of the season, which I would say was kind of faint praise coming from me because I don't really think they've had a good episode this season. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking, yeah, it was good because it wasn't, you know, the other ones. But this episode, I really like this episode. And I don't know if that's okay. just me sitting there taking notes last night and anticipating coming on the show. And it's funny because Mike had said, well, I'd like you to come on and, and start with the Natalie Portman episode. And of course I say what any red-blooded Tunnel fan would say, can I start with the Will Ferrell episode, please? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Will Ferrell one I thought was pretty good. I think I thought it could have been better. It was it seemed kind of awkward at times, but this one I really liked. And just from a comedy writing perspective, just some of the little things going on in this episode I thought were really cool. I think we're going to get to talk about. And uh, to me, this is the thing with SNL. I'm sitting there for an hour and a half and I just want to have fun and I want to watch other people having fun. I don't like when the show's angry. I don't like when it's trying to make like special points and stuff like that. I just like watching people do comedy sketches and having fun. And this Natalie Portman episode I thought was really fun. I thought they were having a blast and there was some really cool stuff going on there. And she was much more fun than I expected. Like she was really having a good time. She was doing crazy characters, doing, you know, the New England accent, the crazy Patriot fan. Like she's doing stuff she normally doesn't get to do. And I've heard hosts talk about that over the years, like Gwyneth Paltrow famously said that. And her mom told her, when you go on SNL, you know, play a prostitute, play a loudmouth, trash mouth, play stuff you wouldn't get to play in movies because you'll never get that chance again. And I thought Natalie got to do a lot of stuff last night that, she doesn't normally get to do it. It seemed like she was really having fun. So I really like the energy she brought to it. She was, she was yeah. game. And I just, from a comedy writing perspective, that was the first show in a, in a while that I really watched and thought, I wish I was writing for that episode. That was a fun one. Yeah. And that's again, sort of mimics what I said about the Will Ferrell episode last week, where it's sort of, almost this i don't know osmosis effect where when you could tell that they're having fun we were having fun and even when you get to really stupid premises which are which we're going to talk about i'm sure at least once over the course of this episode so again like i i think that my placement of her episode is not representative of how i feel about this episode i, I enjoyed this episode and I'm, I'm sure we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about it so i'm excited let's let's dive right in Let, let's start things off here with the cold open i'd love to get your opinion on you sort of outlined how you think SNL is sort of handling the Trump administration these days. Uh, what did you think of this cold open, this Fox and Friends, as sort of a microcosm of the way they're handling the Trump stuff and specifically Alec Baldwin playing Trump? <laughs> this is this is the part of the show which is called make Mario's transition to the podcast as awkward as possible. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you uh, read the subtitle to it. <laughs> yes. Okay, this is there's a couple things I'm going to get off the bat real quick here in that I, I am a comedy writer in real life. I write sketches. I've had sketches sold to TV shows. I do this all the time. Political humor is not my thing to the point that I will freely say I usually fast forward through most political stuff on SNL because I'm just not interested. And it's one of those things. It's a comedy thing. I just I, I have always had a very strict thing in my writing that that political humor isn't really comedy. It's generally going for applause. You're going for applause from the audience. So that's that's always my thing. So like we're going to jump right into a political sketch here, which is is uh, not dissimilar to asking Tommy Wiseau to explain how humans have dialogue with one another. <laughs> <laughs> so asking me to delve into political stuff is interesting because I've I will freely admit I've never seen an episode of Fox News. I have no idea what Fox and Friends is other than the basic premise on the show that they're the ones that kiss Trump's ass. 
So Mm -hmm. I can approach this from a comedy writing perspective. How this really relates to the real world and political news, I don't really know that well. So again, we're going to go right into the seamless portion where I replace Rich here and I I can talk accurately about politics. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting perspective, though, because I think you're able to sort of take things from a comedic perspective rather than sort of a reality perspective. And like you said, sometimes they do go for the quote unquote clapter over the laughter. But as a cold open how did you feel like, again, not knowing too much about Fox to Friends outside of, first of all, it was interesting to see and a little pang in my heart when we saw Fox and Friends, considering, you know, we don't have Bobby Moynihan anymore as it, we don't have Vanessa Bayer anymore. It felt a little odd to see, you know, Alex Moffat and Heidi Gardner and Beck Bennett filling those roles. And I was also not too happy that they did not show probably the most notable part of these Fox and Friends cold opens, which was the list of corrections that came up at the end, which <laughs> you talk about comedy writing. That's like, I'm sure one of the writers most famous or favorite things to do is just to come up with a list of inaccuracies and post them at the very end yeah no absolutely there's i've seen the sketch before again it never really registered with me before because it's not the type of stuff i look for on the show but again immediately the sketch opens and you have heidi gardner sitting there as the lead and i know it's going to be worth it just because i'm a huge fan of hers and i've heard that you and rich were as well Mm -hmm. yeah she did she she did a great job she's made a real splash at least bringing her one-time or her one-time characters to weekend update it also seemed in this episode that she was in quite a number of sketches for a featured player so hopefully this means that the show has you know picked her up on their radar as much as we have yeah i mean right there that is the future of snl right now so i know we're taking a little tangent from the sketch but yeah the minute it opens and i see heidi as the lead okay i'll give this one a chance this will be interesting because she will do something there and i will say again Despite me, my Jerry Seinfeld outlook on life where all I do is go home and eat cereal and watch comedy movies. Like I, I, I enjoyed the sketch for for being a political sketch. I thought there was a good energy in it. I appreciated the performances in it. Although I know there was a there was a technical difficulty on the East Coast, yeah. wasn't there? That's what I'm hearing. We didn't see that on the West Coast. Okay, yeah. So what happened was, uh, so yeah, this, this is the Fox and Friends has a little bit of, you know, it, it sort of pieces together a bunch of different political things. The first one was Cecily as the White House communications director. And in the middle of her joke, I think it's the Gossip Girl joke, the screen sort of like wipes away and shows, I think it was part of the opening credits, and then it cuts back to her. I'm not entirely sure how that's even feasible from a technical perspective. It almost looked like when you're looking through one of those old-school viewfinders and you (laughs) press the switch to make the pictures move. Like It felt it was halfway caught between those slides, but yeah, that was a really odd technical difficulty in the middle of the sketch. Yeah, and I'm proud to say, again, I, I don't get to watch the East Coast feeds. I'm in California. I'm a West Coaster through and through, but they usually fix that stuff for us. So it's, it looked perfectly polished for us. Interesting. Well, so we had Cecily as the White House communications director. She had some fun lines here. I liked her saying, you know, there are no real jobs here. She compares the administration to uh, every day feels like a group of strangers who work together to push a beached whale back into the ocean. Uh, we, we have Chris Red, who I think is also making a great impression as a feature player coming on as Louis Farrakhan uh, and sort of. I thought he did a pretty good job, uh, you know, just basically commentating about like, this is insane that you brought me on here and that we're on the same side of things. And I thought we were out of the woods, Mario, but (laughs) oh, no, we get a call in literally phoning it in Alec Baldwin (laughs) as Donald Trump. That's good. (laughs) No, I've this is something I've said before that. I I thought that using Alec Baldwin for as Trump was very short sighted. I, I I'm not sure what your guys's opinion on this was, but it was always one of those things like, wouldn't that be better served giving it to a cast member and letting him get exactly. some of their feet yeah. wet? So but it was 
I will say I was happy to see him in this one because it's been a while. We haven't seen him in a while. He hasn't really taken over the season like in the past. And I thought it added a fun energy to this sketch. And again, I, mm-hmm. I like the curse red as Farrakhan. Farrakhan was good. And I like most of the stuff. The Cecily stuff was good. Again, the beached whale line. My, that was my favorite as well. But when Trump shows up, it adds a new energy to the sketch because it wasn't you weren't expecting him. Like in the past, it's yeah. always him at the press conference. It's like, OK, we know what we're going to be in for. This was I keep throwing in into a new a new a new era, type of character into a sketch. And it was different. So I appreciate that it's at least they use him differently. That's really all you can ask from SNL since about 1995 on is if you're going to use a recurring character, at least do something different with them. Yeah. I, I do have some appreciation there. As you said, the fact that it was sort of a surprise because I think the expectations that we have every single week is okay. It's going to open in the oval office and Alec Baldwin as Trump is going to be there. And I have been very vocal on this podcast in the past about how I am not a huge fan of the way they're using him, but if they're using him sparingly, maybe I'll be, you know, a little, uh, a little less sardonic towards it. That being said, I thought he had some fun lines in here, especially, you know, we're get I'm getting my daily intelligence briefing right now. And they ask by who he's like, Oh yeah, by you guys. Um, and of course the t- total Alec Baldwin is Trump talking about Martin Luther King's, I dream of genie speech. Uh, I liked him calling Devin Nunes a little sweet, a sweet little house elf. Who's going to, uh, you know, uh, earn his freedom. So there were some fun Trump things in here and maybe, you know, because they didn't solely focus on him for the entirety of this seven minute sketch it, it made it maybe a little bit more palatable than it has in the past yeah i mean he's like a he's like the knockout punch in a boxing match you don't go out there and knock someone out with every single punch you save it for the end so yeah i appreciated him coming in here kind of giving it a little kick at the end and there's the one line in there that i liked uh, where did the other seven billion people come from i don't know illegals maybe which yeah that was my personal favorite <laughs> Well, let's cut to the monologue here, because you talked before about how all you can really count on SNL for doing sometimes is to do something different. We did something different here, much like, you know, the the, the inside SNL sketch that happened during the Dave Chappelle episode last season that we all really enjoyed. Uh, we get a very meta moment here in preparation for the Winter Olympics as Natalie Portman does a monologue and you have Kate and Keenan doing side commentary about how her monologue is going. I really enjoyed the concept of the sketch and I thought it was executed pretty well. How did you think it went? No, I totally agree. Again, it's just something I haven't seen before. It's, I'm trying to think if there's a monologue exactly like this. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But yeah, it was a different concept. And again, you had a host who was very game and you know was willing to tell a joke that bombs on purpose in front of the audience. Like that's that takes a lot of balls. Not every host would kind of do that. And you could just see she was kind of having fun with it. And again, I have to reiterate that Natalie Portman isn't known for doing comedy movies Mm -hmm. unless you count maybe Attack of the Clones a comedy. I'm not sure (laughs) if we count that one. But yeah, so she was very game. She was a good sport. And this was just a fun little concept. And yeah, it's it's not one of those monologues you're going to remember in 10 years, but it was something at least it's not the same thing we see every week. It was something different. Yeah, exactly. And I liked, again, uh, you know, trying to turn this into a sport, talking about the double joke joke into a triple applause break. Uh, again, speaking towards Natalie's gameness, I love that she actually acted out the slow motion with the freeze. That seems like a very just like fun improv thing to do and of course as a longtime snl fan i love the shout out to lenny pickett getting some uh some camera time and swiping through tinder even though he had a very clear wedding ring on his hand while he was doing so (laughs) i didn't catch that but yeah just shout out to lenny pickett getting some camera time here 
Now, I want to ask you about Leslie Jones as well, because you talked about how maybe the show is is trying to figure out who they want to necessarily pump up. And I've sort of been back and forth as to whether Leslie Jones is one of those people, because, you know, she they do put her in a lot of stuff. And I mean, she's going to be, uh, you know, at the Winter Olympics as a correspondent, uh, even though she does one thing very, very well. Uh, what, What do you think about Leslie Jones overall as an SNL cast member? Oh, Leslie, Leslie's an interesting topic. And this is something that I've, when it would probably say about a couple people on SNL is that I always find her funny, but I don't necessarily think SNL is the best medium for her. Interesting. Yeah. And I would say the same thing about Kyle Mooney as well. And maybe a couple others like Pete, but like, I always find her funny what she's doing, but it doesn't necessarily seem like it fits with the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, let's just throw Leslie out there and do a Leslie Jones commentary. And it's like, I mean, I, I appreciate this. I thought she was funny here, but it's one of those things that she should maybe be used sparingly. I think I've, I've heard you mention that as well, that I know you're not always the biggest fan of her, that she has no versatility. I think you said she doesn't play characters. She just puts a wig on. I think yeah, I think that's a rich quoted someone from Reddit who said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, I like her. I think she's funny. I would listen to her doing a weekend update commentary for 15 minutes. I'm sure it would be hilarious. But in sketches, it's always a little awkward. Mm-hmm. which I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir with you. I, I imagine you feel very similar with her about her. Yeah. I, and again, I think she's super talented and I've seen her on her other films and she does a great job. And I'm happy that SNL, if anything, has allowed her to extend her acting chops a little more, especially when you do the pre-tapes of the running Leslie and Kyle behind the scenes of SNL types of stories. I like that we get to see different sides of Leslie Jones here. And I thought she was used in a good manner here. If, if albeit maybe a little, uh, you know, predictable where she comes out. I do like the line about, I don't know why they let these tiny white girls do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I think from, from a coming from a stand-up perspective, it makes sense from her POV, but let's segue out of the monologue here. Let's go to our first live sketch. Uh, the, <laughs> the colonists uh, and it, serving as really a microcosm for the upcoming Patriots versus Eagles Super Bowl. And I feel like this is a textbook example of what you were saying, Mario, where it just felt like they were having a lot of fun and this, for me, really buoyed this sketch because, I don't know, it it, it I it doesn't really have much to it. It was just, hey, let's get five people to do obnoxious, you know, New England accents pretending to be colonists while we have a few people doing obnoxious Philadelphia accents pretending to be colonists. But just be, between the energy and obviously the cameos, I thought this was an energetic way to start off the episode. So I can totally understand why it was post-monologue. Yeah, to me, this was the highlight of the episode, this and Weekend Update. <clears throat> And uh, I, I will grasp from your comment at the start, you didn't catch my Wally Pip Lou Gehrig joke. You're not a big sports fan, correct? No, I know. I'm a, you know, I'm aware of who Tom Brady is, for example, and I know the Eagles and the Patriots. But yeah, m- many sports references are lost on me. OK, yeah, that's that's what I kind of suspected. So I, hopefully I can bring a little bit of different perspective to a sketch like this. This sketch, I'm already seeing a lot of buzz about it on the Internet. This is like the big one from last night. And it's one of those things if you know sports. And again, I'm there's bigger football fans in the world than me. I, I'm from Seattle. I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. People hate all hate, hate Seattle fans too. So it's it's the way it goes. But like New England Patriots fans, well known for being the douchiest, braggiest fans out there. Everybody hates them. It's just one of these things in football. You just know like 99% of the country is going to root for the Eagles today just because they hate the Patriots. So it's one of these things that that's a very well known. <laughs> 
sports trope. So, of course, they milk that for all it's worth in this one, making these colonists the douchiest people ever, which, again, I know of several people from Boston who watched that sketch last night. And they're like, that was so perfect. That is absolutely what Patriots fans are like. And they're like just giggling into all the little details in there about Boston stuff. And then Eagles fans, and I'm, I'm sure I'll offend some people, but, you know, I'm going to offend some people eventually. That's just the way it goes. Philadelphia fans are considered the worst people ever in that they boo their own players always. And when they win, they will set fires and like burn down their cities and like no player alive wants to play in Philadelphia. And I'm, I I know that sounds harsh, but Philadelphia people are horrible. So that's, it's just a well-known sports trope that Philadelphia is the worst sports town with the worst fans. And New England has the douchiest fans who always win and the refs always help them. And they're like, again, they're like uh, the rich spoiled brats in the in the 80s movies like the the evil cocky blonde guy the the cobra kai's so there's a lot going in the sketch and if you're a sports fan you would really appreciate the sketch so it's one of these things there's a there is a lot going on here and just with the the luck just the fortuitousness of Rachel Dratch happens to do a great New England accent, yeah. which we already know. She's been with Soli and Denise. And Tina Fey is like Miss Philadelphia. She's from there. She is well known for having the great Philadelphia accent. You get to bring them back together and just sling insults at one another. And it's like this was a, a, a sketch idea kind of handed down from the comedy gods to the show this week. So perhaps I'm a little higher on it than you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess from that perspective, it was probably like a perfect matchup in that they were able to really exploit some of these tropes of these fans. Now, that being said, there was still, even from a non-sports fan perspective, a lot of fun stuff in here. First, uh, shout out to Luke Knoll. Uh, I, as a Connecticut boy, I appreciated the two Connecticut jokes that they slipped in there because that is very much like Connecticut's place in New England. Is that like we're not really there? Uh, I, I felt bad for the Duncan's coffee joke that went over like a lead balloon. Either nobody got it or nobody liked it, but it just said like it got a rare amount of silence from this sketch. But there's just a lot of high energy going on here. But I loved, you know, the specificities that, you know, Tom Brady's uh, Captain Thomas Brady's an old man. He's 40, which is four years over the life expectancy in this time. Uh, Philly's going to win. And one of these guys is going to punch a police horse. I loved the over the top nature of specifically the Philadelphia accents to the point where they were saying the Eagles. Uh, I, I just thought there, there was a lot of really energetic things going on as someone who went to college uh, near Philly, the Wawa reference. I really appreciate it. I think that went over much better than the, uh, the Duncan's coffee reference for some reason, but yeah, this was just really, and obviously with these two big cameos as well, you can't push that one, uh, you know, to, to the post update. So, it's so interesting as well that this episode featured more alumni cameos than the Will Ferrell hosted episode last week. <laughs> yeah, it's the first off I want to mention that Dunkin' Donuts. That was Chris Red coming in and making the the Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. And I think he blew that line or he blew the delivery or something because yeah, even on the West Coast one, it wasn't any better. It just like that joke, it just I had to even rewind it to see what was that joke. I kind of even missed it. I think he just kind of blew the delivery there. Yeah, I I don't I don't entirely know what it was. I mean, it also there was just a lot going on. There were a lot of people moving around. So maybe it was just lost. But it was one of those rare moments where I mean, not since uh, Luke Knowles horrible uh, first first day of school kid routine from uh, earlier on this season has the audience been that staunchly silent. (laughs) You know, I'm rooting for Luke Knowles. I like him. The things that he gets on the air 
I appreciate his energy and I like his delivery and I liked his, again, the Connecticut stuff in this one. And again, I'm from the West Coast, so I may have missed some of the nuances of this sketch, the New Jersey versus New England stuff or Philadelphia versus New England. So I, I'm glad I have an East Coaster to share this with because some of the little stuff I like, I'm only vaguely aware of Wawa. I've only been there once. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a big thing. But I have to give a shout out. I just wrote in my notes here. Keenan trying to do a Philadelphia accent, which he wasn't even trying, <laughs> to the point that it cracked up Pete Davidson. You could see Pete cracking up at, at Keenan trying to do an accent. Yeah, and also I also love uh, Pete. By the way, like such a such a go getter. Like this is very atypical Pete Davidson. Maybe this symbolizes just how much he's leaning into finally being in sketch comedy. But like his weird energy as this youthful messenger, I thought was a lot of fun and, and a really interesting way to start the sketch. Yeah, and it's something he's always needed. Give us a hook. Make you something different about you, and maybe that's his new hook. That I'm just going to go over the top with the energy and just kind of parodying Pete Davidson. So, I mean, maybe that was his thing. I, the thing I wanted to give a shout-out here was Mikey Day doing his accent. When at one point he says, we're going to send the British home. And he basically goes into Dr. Evil. Yeah. <laughs> Slash Lauren Michaels. Just, yeah, it's Lauren Michaels. So he's kind of doing a Lauren Michaels impression. So send him home. Well, let's let's move on here to Stranger Things 3. Now, uh, Stranger Things is no stranger thing to SNL. I believe we saw a Stranger Things 2 sketch during the Lin-Manuel Miranda episode last season. Uh, Mario, I know that you have just recently started checking out Stranger Things, so it seems we're more on the same page in terms of knowledge base than maybe in the previous sketch. How did you think the Stranger (laughs) Things 3 sketch went? I liked it. I mean... Obviously, when you do something topical like that, it's going to be dated. And in five years, people might not remember Stranger Things. The sketch might not hold up. As it goes, like this was ostensibly a Stranger Things parody, but it's really not. This was just a silly writer's sketch. Mm -hmm. Just come up with the stupidest superpower and the stupidest side effects you can come up with. So as a writer, it warms my heart to see sketches like this. They're not trying to make any bigger point other than let's come up with the stupidest side effect and power we can come up with. And I, I like this one. I mean, it was... It was insignificant. It didn't really have a bigger point. But as it went on and we get stuff like chili and brain bleeds and the somewhat good Borat impression, like that's my kind of humor. That's little silly stuff that it takes someone creative to kind of come up with things like that. So I, I this was one of my also my favorite sketches of the night. Yeah, I really like the escalation in particular. And I totally agree that this feels like one of those like showcase sketches where it's essentially like okay everyone just sort of come through assembly line and do your thing and then you leave but the way it started between beck's character saying you know oh uh you know i i'm able to start fires but every time i do i throw up in my mouth a little bit it's interesting that they just sort of honed in on this one concept from stranger things which was every time 11 uses her you know spoiler alert for stranger things every time she uses her psychokinetic powers she gets this little uh nosebleed i think they natalie portman even lampshaded by saying she gets like this aesthetically pleasing nosebleed uh (laughs) and so they move on here so 14 is the one who starts fires but throws up in his mouth a little bit uh nine can read people's minds but it makes her fart that they go back to her a couple times very fart heavy episode in particular uh five is when things start getting really silly he can run really fast like the flash but he gets a boner every time that he does uh and then it really ramps up here i i also loved uh you know luke's character saying he can make a fantastic chili but his brain bleeds every time and the fact that he insisted on doing it with the blood pack effect was really fun an 80 doing the pretty good Borat impression, but every time she does, it puts her in a coma for two days. Uh, I, I felt like that could have been a fine place. And I don't know if we necessarily needed 50s powers that she's 50 years old, which only reminded me of Sally O'Malley or, mm-hmm. you know, them doing uh, they, they sometimes occasionally do this like 
oh, you like it to sketch to end, do you? Type of moments when they just sort of break the fourth wall and you have Keenan as three, think he can't he can think of a good way to end sketches. But overall, I thought this just was really goofy, but the specificity in some of these just made for a really enjoyable sketch overall. Yeah, and it's it's funny because that was actually one of my criticisms last week of the Will Ferrell show. Like almost none of those sketches had endings. They're really bad, this current writing crop of ending a sketch and it's funny some errors are good at that some they're not this error they're just particularly sloppy so i like that they just doubled down with it and said okay screw it we don't know how to end a sketch let's just have keenan literally say we don't know how to end how to end the sketch so again yeah i i, I thought we could have done without leslie and keenan i mean keenan's good he's good at ending a sketch i don't know if he was really necessary to it but i will always say that any keenan in a sketch will make a sketch better so i can overlook that but yeah all in all just a very silly sketch with Again, funny premises, which is something that I like to do with my my funny friends, like we'll just come up with a topic on a Facebook message board or something and just start throwing out ideas, parodies, references, how we can top the joke. And this is exactly what the sketch felt like. The writer is just trying to one up each other with silly superpowers. All right. Well, let's move on here to I would say maybe one of the other big pieces that it has hit the social media airways from this episode. I would, again, say the hallmark of Natalie Portman's first episode out was the rap that she did. This is a textbook example of what you were saying before, where she was known as sort of this prim and proper dramatic actress. And then she sort of goes into gangster rap in her first episode. And people were wondering, how is she going to one up that or is she just going to do it again? Uh, She does as Beck lampshades in this sketch. You're almost the same, except with more current references <laughs> give me your thoughts on both the the initial iteration of natalie portman's rap and how it compares to the second version that we got in this past episode okay yeah so uh Nat, her original rap was a digital short if i recall right it was yeah. andy sandberg okay i kind of forget if it was a digital short or not yeah so that was a really big deal at the time and i'm one of the biggest digital short fans out there when if you'll ever see my countdown of the snl funny 115 it's just littered with digital shorts when to the point that I think someday if they ever release those on a DVD, the best digital shorts, that will be the greatest SNL DVD ever of collection of stuff. So, I, But I, it was never one of my favorite digital shorts. And it was weird because it was one that got all this press. And I thought it was kind of cool. But we already did that with Lazy Sunday and we'd had Chris Parnell doing these raps about Britney Spears. So we'd done the inappropriate rap thing. So I remember when the Natalie Portman thing came along, I thought, well, it was cool. She was a good sport that she did it. But we'd seen that before. So I, I – it never struck me as being that amazing compared to like how much press it got. But I do think it was really cool that they brought it back, if only because it was a kind of a seminal moment from that era of the show. And it was a nice little callback to a very strong era of SNL. And you got Sandberg in here. And again, it was just more of Natalie Portman being allowed to do stuff she doesn't normally get to do. And you can tell she's having a ball with it. So I just... Again, I got nothing bad to say about it. Mm -hmm. Good for her. She gets to do stuff that she doesn't normally get to do. And I'm sure she was very proud of this. And I'm sure when she watched last night, this was probably her favorite part. Yeah, this was the highlight of the episode for me. I really enjoyed the last time she did it. I watched the first version before I watched this episode. And I would say that the first version was definitely more high energy. She was really throwing herself into it. Whereas this one, you know, I'm obviously not an an expert when it comes to rap, but it seemed like that was more so in like the, the hardcore type of rap, whereas this one was more in like the silky, sultry type of rap. She seemed a lot more smooth in this one. They also went through a, a few different, I don't know, songs or melodies in the course of it. So I would say that the way they started out, again, Beck lampshades, that it was basically the same thing, except with more current references. She's talking about Tide Pods and 
clickbait. I did like when she I did like when she said put a dildo on a switchblade. Uh, <laughs> again, those, this the specificity for me it really hit a new level when she talks about giving birth. Specifically, when my water broke, you know I drowned the doctor, and just the visual of this guy hitting getting hit with a wave of water. I, I just really enjoyed the fact that, like she said, she has new portions of her life now that she's able to incorporate into said rap. But I think the biggest part, the part that people are talking about the most, is her prequel section, which was hysterical with her dressed up as Queen Amidala holding a gun just at Alex Moffat saying, say something about the prequels, bitch, uh, and bringing out a Jar Jar Binks. I just thought that was incredible. I understood wanting to bring Andy back as the man dressed as a Viking for no reason. I liked bringing in the story element that they had a kid together. And then she, you know, she last time she hit Chris Parnell with a chair at the end of the sketch. This time she throws back through a window. So it had some lofty expectations to live up to. But by doing some new stuff with it, I thought it definitely met those expectations for me. Yeah, no, I, I was really impressed by this and some of the stuff. Like, like you said, the Queen Amidala stuff, the Star Wars stuff had me la- literally laughing out loud. And I don't I don't laugh out loud all the time on the show, but that was say what? What about what about the prequel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I thought that was good. And then what other thing I, I wrote on my notes here? You can juggle these nuts. That's a good one. Um, Jar Jar having multiple genitalia. Yep. Seventeen. That was good. <laughs> Seventeen. It's like, yeah, it was it was good. I. I I, I, I do podcasts about movies. I love talking about the prequels. It was uh, obviously a, a rare treat to see her get to talk about the prequels in a comedic way. So good for her. It's, again, just a fun sketch. And, that again, another one that people will be talking about between that and the, the Eagles Patriot one. That's two sketches right there that I believe will probably go viral if they haven't already that were pretty big last night. All right. Well, let's segue into Mario's favorite part of every SNL episode – Let's talk about the musical guest here, Dua Lipa. (laughs) First, let's preface this. Mario, I know you posted this online, but what is your history with musical guests on SNL? Okay. My history with musical guests is that I don't consider them a part of the show because I am a comedy writer and I find music acts boring for the most part, unless it's someone with some specific pop culture relevance or something. So I will say, and I will say, I'm not proud of this, but it's not true because I am proud of this. The last musical act I watched on SNL was probably Paul McCartney a couple about, what, 10 years ago? And before that, it was maybe the Spice Girls in 97 with Rob Lowe. So I'm proud to say I know almost nothing about music, current music, pop music, modern music. And last night, here's the only notes I wrote in my – because I literally had to sit down and watch the musical guest last night, and I normally don't do that. That's I always say SNL is my favorite DVR show because you can skip through the stuff you don't care about, and the musical guest is generally quite high on that list. So these are the only notes literally I have for Dua Lipa. A, who is Dua Lipa? B, is she wearing hefty bag pants? <laughs> That's it. That's literally all I have written down. I mean, you're filling Rich's shoes considering that like all Rich was able to really I love Rich, but all he was able to really comment on were the things that the people were wearing and the way the stage was set up. Uh, Dua Lipa, she's one of those people that I didn't think I knew. But once I started hearing her song New Rules, that sounded like one of those. That's definitely one of those songs that I ended up hearing a bunch over the summer just over the radio. So she performed that and she performed homesick there wasn't really anything noteworthy about the staging it was very simple the second song was homesick it was a piano ballad which just had a lone pink spotlight on her but i thought her voice was really good and again i I keep beating this drum about how the sound mixing is horrendous in studio 8h so i'm always going to give a musical guest credit for sounding good on that stage and for what it's worth i thought she sounded really good 
Yeah. And I will say I'd never heard of this person until last night. And I listened and I'm like, okay, she's got a good voice. And I, that's, I mean, that's best you can say about a singer. Okay. I, I bet people like this song. Yeah. And I also want a quick shout out to Natalie Portman was wearing a Judge Aquilina shirt. And for those of you that don't mm-hmm. know, uh, Judge Aquilina was, I believe, the judge who uh, sentenced uh, Larry Nassar, who was the just recently convicted for doing some not so great stuff as a gymnastics coach. And she, you know, delivered this pretty viral diatribe to him. So I think that was just her sort of supporting uh, her in that moment. But let's segue into Weekend Update, which, again, has been here since the beginning Mario, I know that that you have had uh, your own fan history with Weekend Update. Give give me your thoughts about it as a piece of the show. Okay, I'll try to make this quick because I could make an entire hour-long show just on this monologue right here. Okay, yeah, SNL Weekend Update, the one part of the show that's been there since the beginning, although it obviously changed names along the way, as I know when Brad Hall was hosting and stuff. They had different names. So it's been there in some form or another ever since the start of the show. Sometimes it's a strong part of the show. Sometimes it's a weak part of the show. Obviously, Chevy Chase became famous, became Chevy Chase because of Weekend Update. And then you had some weak years in the early 80s. Like, I don't think Christopher Guest was really meant to do a uh, Weekend Mm -hmm. Update. But then you had the Dennis Miller years. And that, he was bigger than the show there for a while. People remember that era as Dana Carvey, Jan Hooks, you know, all them. But Dennis Miller Weekend Update was a big deal at the time. Like it was kind of a separate part of the show. So that was a big deal. And then you have my, you went through a couple stretch of a couple weaker ones. I was never a big Kevin Nealon fan, but you get to Norm MacDonald, who was one of my comedy heroes. And it's one of those things, maybe SNL might not have been the best oeuvre for him, but he was funny. He was, and he killed me. And he, to this day, he is the reason I became a comedy writer, Norm MacDonald, just the way he and his uh, head writer, uh, what was his name? Downey, Jim Downey yeah, wrote Jim the Downey, jokes. Yeah. A lot of people think it was just Norm, but it was Downey as well. They were a team. So Downey and Norm basically saying, let's just make fun of the news. Let's just F this. <laughs> let's just F the segment up and make it crazy. <clears throat> so you had Norm. And then after that, you had Colin Quinn. And I'm a big Tina Fey fan because she's a writer like me. I always appreciate a comedy writer. I never liked Amy Poehler that much. Seth Meyers, and I was off and on on. And then uh, now you got the new guys. You got uh, Joe, uh, Joe Stan Shea. And I'm big fans of them because they are both writers and it's very obvious. I love seeing their thought processes on jokes and I love seeing them interact with one another, bouncing yeah. ideas off each other, which is really a new dynamic. You don't you didn't really see that. Like you had Faye and Poehler doing that, but it was a little different than it's almost contentious now where <laughs> Shay just pretends like he hates Joe's and stuff. So yeah, I really like it now. And again, there's eras where update has been strong. It's been weak. It's been significant. It's been insignificant. I happen to love these guys. I don't always like how political the jokes have to be because of the era, but if I'm having two joke writers out there telling topical jokes every week, these are the two guys I, I love out there. I think they're great. Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, I, I think that they have been on a good streak so far, even if last week was not as strong as the previous two. I thought they, they came back to a surging start this week. Maybe started off a little little bit under, you know, par with, with this stuff about the Devin Nunes memo. But I feel like as soon as we got into Che talking about the only time that Trump reads four pages in a row is when he's getting breakfast, and it's a, a graphic of him reading through an IHOP menu. Uh, I, I loved Che talking about a delegation, you know, sitting down during the state of the union and saying that they look like his church after the choir director came out of the closet 
yeah. and, and just like focusing on the the Jost and Chase stuff, because again, I totally agree about their quote unquote contentious dynamic as well. But Jost got in some really, really funny jokes this time between, you know, uh, Super Bowl is coming up. And whether you're a Pats fan or an Eagles fan, remember, child support was due on the first uh, just <laughs> the second week in a row where he, where he decides to sort of make a, a both sides are wrong uh, kind <laughs> of joke. And then, as I mentioned, uh, I, I sort of highlighted this before in the very beginning of the podcast, but the whole Passion of the Christ 2, I know what Jews did last summer, and Colin just selling, you crossed the wrong guy, and just the hold <laughs> of silence after that as everyone started getting to the getting the joke, and then just punctuated by the fact of Colin off-camera saying, nailed it, was just, that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, as a comedy writer, stuff like that is near and dear to my heart, because as you're telling a joke, obviously, I mean, you do podcasts as well, you come to a certain point where the joke pops up in your head, and you have to make a split second decision if you want to say it on the air or not. And I know they use cue cards and stuff, but I'm sure Joe's has leeway whether to say some of these jokes or not, whether to go all the way with them. And I just appreciate when they cross that line and just say, F it, I'm going to go for it. And that was a very much F it moment. Like, we'll just see how the audience reacts to this one. And again, as someone who was raised on Norm MacDonald, this is like watching Norm again. That's something Norm would have done. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I again, Joe's gets a lot of flack. And I know SNL... They always say, uh, or you hear criticism of SNL, all, the, all they hire is these uh, rich white Harvard guys for the writers. There's no diversity and stuff. But like, you know, you hire these rich white Harvard guys and they come up with really funny, edgy jokes like that. So, I mean, there's something to be said for hiring these Harvard guys. They're funny. All right, but let's go into the correspondence. We see three of them. Again, another very lengthy weekend update. I think it's just a further symbol of what you were talking about, where the show really has a lot of faith in the update at this point, including the correspondence. Let's start off here with a twofer, uh, Bridget Bardot and Catherine Deneuve. So these are two, I believe, real French actresses who are uh, protesting the Me Too movement. And for the second week in a row, we get a nice little uh, highlighted work of the SNL makeup and prosthetics team considering the makeup they put on Kate McKinnon here as Bridget Bardot. <laughs> the thing that I love about Kate, and Kate, I mean, she gets endless praises on the internet. People love her. You never hear anything bad about her, and I'll just add on to that. I love how ugly she's willing to look in a sketch. Yeah. she. No one is more gleeful at throwing on ugly old person makeup or just hideously scarred makeup, and she loves it. So just uh, she is such a good sport, and she when she commits to a character, man, she goes for it. And it's just I, I appreciate it. And I will say in this one, like on paper, this isn't necessarily the funniest sketch like Catherine Deneuve and Bridget Bardot. Like, is that really prime comedy in 2018? But you put uh, Kate especially in an accent and it's going to be gold. Mm -hmm. She's hilarious whenever she does any any weird European accent. And Cecily, I'm not the biggest fan of Cecily, but her accents are always amazing as well. And yeah. if this is one of those sketches, I have to say. It reminded me so much of a, a Dark Horse favorite. I have a I have a favorite sketch from a couple of years ago, and they just reran it the other night on SNL Vintage, and it's the uh, Amazing Cats video with yep. Adam Driver. They were both French in that one, too. That's immediately what I thought of as soon as they started talking in those accents. Yeah, and I was hoping they were going to bust out a boyoyoing. Yes! Which, <laughs> and again, that's one of my wife's and I are my favorite sketches. We love that cat one just because they're having so much fun with the, the nihilism and the accent of the French. And this one was very similar in the way. So, again, maybe not the funniest idea on paper, but this one really delivers. And this is a absolute performance based sketch right here. And I just I loved almost every line they had here. Yeah, it's a great representation, as you said, of how Kate McKinnon can elevate a piece of material, because even just the moments where 
Catherine Deneuve is talking and Bridget Bardot is just staring off into space. The audience is going crazy. And I, I loved, you know, just her exclamations of like free Harvey Weinstein. And like, why does a woman have breasts? Obviously for a man to grab and pull. And even just small things like her pantomime for woke that she did. <laughs> and then when she's talking about, uh, you know, when men are grabbing women and the scream that she does. Again, maybe this is talking back to those cat videos. Sounds like a mew. Uh, it's just it's, it's it was a great highlight for Kate. And it just shows how fantastic she is that even some of these one-time update characters how she can really be a chameleon when put under random amounts of prosthetic and makeup she can just make a character out of it she's fantastic and there's one line right at the end of the sketch which i don't know if it was ad-libbed because she said it under her breath where she told cecily you're freaking old too bitch which i (laughs) i just love but i have to say one thing before you move on that again well when i talk about these episodes i am i'm not a fan of cecily as a lead in a sketch I hate to say, to use the old Norm MacDonald quote, box office poison, but it, it seems to me that it drags in whenever she's the lead. But that being said, when she's the secondary or the straight man, she's so good. Cecily supports mm-hmm. everyone so well. And this is a perfect example of, you'll remember this for Kate McKinnon, you know, doing the crazy Brigitte Bardot, but Cecily's the one selling it. She's doing all the hard work on the side, setting it up. So I, I give a lot of credit to Cecily in this one. Just the way they work together. When these two, Kate and Cecily, work together, it's almost always something interesting. And I, I really appreciated this one. Well, let's go to Pete Davidson here. It's been a little bit since we've seen Pete Davidson. I want to say maybe the Chance the Rapper or the Tiffany Haddish episode doing a you know one of his one-time bits here on Weekend Update where he's talking about a completely factual, once again, a commercial he did for Dockers where he told people to take their pants off so he could trade them a pair of Dockers. How did you think Pete did this week? I loved it. Again, comedy writer. This is just watching a comedy writer writing out a bit. And it's his beats were so funny in this, his setup. And it was dark. And I'm a big fan of dark humor. And when he gets into the kid, <laughs> the kid with cancer, yeah. and he's like, so you want to take your pants off? It's like, to me, that was probably the hardest I laughed in the show. And that's pretty impressive considering that the Eagles Pat Patriot sketch was in there. But yeah, it's again, this. This type of commentary wouldn't be for everyone. And again, I've never been sure that Pete is the if SNL is the right place for Pete. I'm curious what you thought about this one, because I know there was some awkward silence from the audience. I've seen people comment, oh, that's a, that sketch didn't really go over that well. Like there was some awkwardness, but it's like that was the point. The awkwardness was what made it funny. Yeah. So I, I absolutely love this entire thing. I love his delivery. I'm curious. What did you think of this one? I really enjoyed it as well. And I was also a big fan of the last time he was on. I know that, uh, you know, Rich talked a lot about how when these standups come onto SNL, sometimes they fall into this pit where they are talking about a timely subject, but then it segues into the five minutes of prepared standup that they had beforehand. So I'm always going to give Pete credit here for actually talking about something that's pertinent to the topic at hand and was part of his life instead of just saying, oh, this Dockers commercial reminds me of the time that I ripped my pants at this place. And you sort of realize, like, okay, this is just sort of a venue for you to do your standup. It seems a little more kinetic, but I really liked it here. I, I thought it was a little slow starting off, uh, but once he started picking up by talking about how awkward it was that you know, it it was ill timing where between all of the articles about the Harvey Weinstein stuff, there were ads for him telling people to take off their pants. I loved, as you said, especially the delivery, the very slow delivery where you knew where it was going, but still it was the punchline was so funny about Steve, who has the daughter with cancer. And then it just sort of takes an interesting left turn into I talked about this when he was on a couple of weeks ago about like, oh, he has some a bandage on his hand. What happened? And Colin asked as well. And it seems like he punched a door. And this is the line that really got my wife going. You just goes it's a funny story see i have mental problems 
that's the story. It's just, it, it was a really, really good line. And then ending, of course, in typical Pete Davidson fashion by talking about masturbation. I thought this was just <laughs> a good, like, quintessential Pete Davidson. I've been really enjoying what he's been doing lately with getting more personal. I'm glad he's in better health as well, uh, you know, hand aside. So, yeah, this was this was a home run for me. This is one of those sketches that you could show a non-SNL fan, this little commentary. I could grab my brother, anybody random who just doesn't watch SNL. Watch this little five-minute commentary by Pete Davidson, and they would laugh. Like, there's no – you don't need to know anything about the show. It's not really like, – it doesn't tie in with anything else on SNL. And I do have to say that you said it starts off slow. I would disagree with that, saying it starts off with <laughs> I'm doing a doctor's ad because my career is turning out exactly as I wanted oh, it right, to. Oh, right, right, which is a, yeah. <laughs> that's a wonderful – like, again, I, I always bring up Kyle Mooney. Kyle's one of my favorite kind of scientists of comedy. Going to Bruce Chandling, where you want to make the the, the the commentary as sad and awkward as yeah. possible. That's just a wonderful way to start off your commentary to get the audience not to not to be sure what to think. Well, let's move on to our last correspondent here. Another recurring character, Kenan Thompson playing Willie. And I know I could hear Rich Tackenberg posthumously saying, you know, oh, giving it an oh boy. But for what it's worth, maybe it serves like absence making the heart grow fonder. But I do not mind Willie here. I think Keenan does a really good job at selling it. And again, maybe it's just because we haven't seen it in quite some time. But I thought there were so you were speaking about dark comedy. Some that's what Willie's essentially based in. And uh, there was one part in particular that I really enjoyed of the three. But w- what are your thoughts about Willie as a recurring character and about this iteration of Willie? All right. We will start off here by saying I have the ultimate respect for Rich Tackenberg. He's a wonderful man. Excellent SNL observations. But on Willie, he is absolutely wrong. (laughs) And there's a new there's a new sheriff in town, kids. This is now a pro Willie podcast. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Willie is one of my favorite characters on SNL. I get so excited. There was two uh, commentators that used to come out on Weekend Update that I would always be excited for, even though it was pretty much the same because I enjoyed the performers and they were having so much fun doing them. One was Jacob the Bar Mitzvah Boy, who I will never not find funny because Vanessa Bayer does that smile that can crack anybody up at the end. But Willie is the other one, and it is because the sheer joy on Keenan's face when he's doing this character. He is having so much fun delivering the most horrible jokes possible. And again, I am a fan of dark, horrible, horrible jokes. And Keenan just reels them off into this character. And it's such a fun little writer's character to see what you can get away with. To the fact that they had a necrophilia one in this one. Oh my God. And that has always been, as a comedy writer, that's a, uh, that's like the Wonka golden ticket. If you could work a necrophilia joke in somehow and slip it past people and still not make it horribly offensive. So I will say... Big fan of Willie. I love this entire section. I was just giggling the entire time. It's like half of the joke and half of the presumption that they're getting away with the stuff on the air. And Keenan's got that big old grin on his face knowing he's getting away with it. And I go, okay, I got to hear you talk about Willie because I could talk about him for quite a while. I love Willie. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the middle section was by far my favorite part. I mean, again, like you said, it's predictable. As Rich said, it's, it's a little Mad Libs where it's like, it's like they always say, insert dark thing here, Willie. Uh, they went in a really weird place starting off with like, it's like, you know, the ancestors used to say, I just came for the free boat trip, Willie. Uh, that was, I mean, the audience had a big reaction to that. <laughs> but I think my favorite part was the middle section with the blow up doll because it just being punctuated with sex dolls don't have toe tags willie was 
so funny so again that's another one where i kind of wish it had ended on that i understand if again we're going back to the typical formula here you want to end on lucius for me the nothing can beat uh wolves rape your dog willie from a few <laughs> iterations ago so your dog is a puppy molester willie didn't exactly hit that level for me but i can understand if you want to stick to the formula <laughs> yeah it's just one of those i don't know how people don't like willie like i understand maybe you get tired of him because it's the same thing but man, is it fun. You know what they say? And it's like a big setup. You're waiting. Okay, what's the punchline going to be? And it's always a little off from where I think it's going to go. So just from a comedy writing perspective, I cannot think of anything that makes me laugh harder than Willie. <laughs> really not necrophilia and puppy molestation jokes. So well, again, maybe it says a lot about me. I don't know. But it's, I, I, I would hope people give Willie another chance because if you like the concept of comedy and how it's written and structured and set up, Willie is really, it's really a funny idea. Let's segue into our post-update group of sketches here, because, yeah, we go from some very dark material in some of these update correspondence to much lighter side of things. Uh, this, is, this is one of those examples of when you watch 30 Rock and they do, like, the parody SNL sketches. This is one of those examples where uh, they're doing a space sketch where Beck's character, again, major kudos to the makeup and prosthetics department because he looked great, but we only saw his face for about two minutes because <laughs> the entire sketch was that his face was his butt and his butt was his face. And so Beck Bennett spent the entirety of the sketch talking out of his butt. Very Ace Ventura. Uh, what did you think about this sketch overall, Mario? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Did you have that condition as well? <laughs> I'm quoting the sketch and giving my review at the same time. Yeah, this was... I mean, I only I really have one note here in my in my in my paper is that, hey, look, that's an award winning actress hugging Beck Bennett's butt. Yeah, <laughs> that's really all I have. Like, there's nothing to it. It's like, I don't know why this made the show. I mean, it, sure, it was fun to write and come up with. But like from a comedy perspective, this is a very lazy sketch. And I have to say they already used the fart joke in the Stranger Things earlier in the episode, which is just lazy to have two, uh, you know, two uh, sketches based kind of around the same joke and, and like that. So. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to say about this. It was well acted other than Natalie Portman being glued to the cue cards the entire time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and ostensibly, maybe uh, Beck was glued to the cue cards, too. We just couldn't see him because you only saw his butt. So, yeah, it's I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. It was you'll forget about this one two minutes after you watch it. Yeah. And this is one of those ones where it's sort of like uh, the in the Ryan Gosling episode when it was him on the run with a chicken. It's just a really stupid idea. But I think they both did an admirable job of trying to perform it and make it as melodramatic as possible. I think the only visual thing that really did it for me was him putting the fedora on his butt at the end. It was just a really stupid visual joke. But I enjoyed it, but it was not really anything to write home about. I didn't hate it maybe it's because again they really committed to it which almost made it uh made it what it was but this was definitely one of those ones that he just sort of threw up there to see you know exactly how it would be received but i, I want to segue into this next sketch because i think this is one that definitely gives natalie portman something more fun to do and this to me is a great representation of the of snl being more confident in her and giving her more stuff to do this kids choice award sketch where her character her correspondent has lost her voice and it's essentially the entire sketch is natalie portman talking in basically at a at a whisper or uh, at a, in a hoarse voice then getting this like vocalizer and and trying to still be the energetic nickelodeon host that she should be I really enjoyed this just because of how much Natalie Portman was so committed to this character. What did you think of it? 
Yeah, this is one like I didn't think it was really all that special a sketch. It's not one that's going to go down in history as being a classic or anything. But yeah, like you said, they gave her a lot to do. The host is carrying a lot of weight here. And this is a very odd sketch for a host to carry this much weight in this late in the show. Usually the host is kind of winding down by this point. And she, yeah, she gets to do a lot of work here and she's got to you know deliver lines through a whisper and through pantomime. And that's that's not something that every host can do. Not every SNL host can do. So, yeah, it was it was neat to see. Again, I I, I don't really have a lot of notes about this one other than wrote, I wrote down Natalie's working really hard. And then I wrote they got to pull out the old voc- vocalizer, which I always love. I think when's the last time we saw that was that Jeff's Halloween Emporium with Jim Carrey? Oh, that was, yeah, that's definitely one. There was one with Emily Blunt last season when it was her and I can't remember who else, maybe Mikey Day as the two uh, robots. And they oh, used yeah. the, they used the, the ooey gooey cheese quesadilla. And there were technical difficulties there where you like got her vo- voice poking through. That's the last time that I, uh, I remember them using the vocalizer for that effect. Yeah. I mean, again, it was, again, nothing's really special in the sketch, but as a big fan of Jeff's Halloween Emporium, it was nice to see that effect. And again, Natalie, Portman proving again that she is a good worker and very good sport on some of these sketches because this one this was a harder sketch to pull off than you think it was from from a performance point of view especially talking on the inhale that's that's Mm -hmm. always a really tough thing to do other stuff from this when we first saw the kids choice awards I thought it was going to be like a beat for beat recreation I don't know if you remember this it might have been the Ariana Grande episode from a few years back they did a kids choice awards sketch where the joke was that they were counting down to it but they uh, they had to stall for time because they realized that the, the clock was uh, was not running quick enough. I thought mm-hmm. we were going to get that again, especially since I believe Mikey Day might have been in there as well. But I'm glad they did something completely different. But I love the specificity of some of these Kids' Choice Awards. They sort of throw away jokes. Like some of the awards were coolest face, uh, favorite funny lesbian, uh, which was actually favorite funny person, and best actor in a Jumanji movie. And to see Ellen DeGeneres there as well, it's been a long time, I feel like, since we've seen, maybe because uh, Kate's been so concentrated on all this political stuff, they don't really go back to Ellen, but it feels like it's been a long time since we've seen that Ellen impression. Yeah, and that is one of her better impressions, and it's, it's yeah, anytime you can throw Kate in there, use it but yeah ellen is one of her greater characters i'm glad to see her pop up again and i would i would love to see more ellen show sketches just because my wife watches that show every day and it's quite fresh in my mind i'd love to see it parodied well let's move on here we talked about kate mckinnon getting a starring role and she definitely gets one next up here we go to a rare post update political sketch as melania and trump is getting ready for the state of the union and she is visited by i guess ghosts of first ladies past between natalie portman as jackie o which i thought was a killer connection for those of you that don't remember uh she was nominated for an oscar last year for her role as jackie o uh, mm-hmm. in a film and then we have of course kate comes out as hillary we get 80 as martha washington and we get leslie coming out as michelle obama what did you think about this sketch overall the thing that stood out to me about this sketch is i could not believe it was so late in the show yeah this is absolutely the type of sketch you would expect to see first and it's the one thing that that jumps out about that is that it it just kind of talks about how strong the show was kind of before update some of those stuff, things were big. Like maybe this could have replaced the Stranger Things. I probably should have. But like the Natalie Portman rap, the Tina Fey Eagles and Patriot sketch, those were clearly going to come before updates. So this one, I guess, got pushed back a little bit. But yeah, I have a couple notes here that I, I was shocked it came so late in the show. But at the same time, when you watch the execution, I was shocked it wasn't a little better. Mm-hmm. 
Like I thought this would be a knock out of the park. All these funny women doing these funny impressions of first ladies and they really did it pretty well, but the execution was kind of sloppy. It felt to me like it was, they were working on it right until the last minute, kind of the blocking and the, the entrances and stuff like Leslie's entrance and especially, and again, that could just be Leslie being not good on, on live TV, but her entrance was kind of weird. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. It was, it was too late in the show, but it was weird because I thought it should have been a little stronger. Yeah, it was interesting because I think the concept would have made for some a lot of humor, but just something wasn't there. Maybe if they had just stuck with Jackie O and it was a mm-hmm. comparison between Jackie O and Melania Trump, you know, because it is sort of two different eras of history. Maybe that would have had more legs to it. You know, I can understand why you felt like you wanted to bring Hillary out there. I'm surprised that, you know, when Melania starts talking about famous first ladies, that Hillary was not the first one out there, considering that you have someone in the wings who can do a Hillary impression. And Hillary was obviously a first lady. Uh, That being said, I thought the Hillary lines were probably the funniest in there. You know, how do you put up with this stuff? You just tell yourself it'll all be worth it when you're president. And Melania (laughs) says, well, well, you lost. She goes, yep, I remember I was there. Uh, (laughs) So and again, I'll I'll say this for the the third time. I felt like maybe they could have ended it there. I don't know if we needed Martha Washington. I did like the energy of AD hacking her way in, but I felt like ending on Michelle Obama was a little strange. I'm not entirely sure what they were trying to say in this sketch by just sort of bopping all around history. But yeah, it's one of those things where in concept, I would I don't know why it was pre-update, but in execution, I can understand why it was post-update. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I can't really pinpoint what was wrong with it other than it just seemed unfocused. But again, yeah, the Hillary stuff was great. I always think they should use AD in the show more. So appreciate her as bat crazy Martha Washington hacking in with an axe. But yeah, it's it was a neat sketch that I think maybe if they had another day or two to write it and and uh, focus it and tighten it up, it would have been a little stronger. Well, speaking of AD, Brian, let's segue into this last sketch here, this character of Bunny who is here to talk to uh, to Natalie and Cecily and Heidi about how they don't have it as bad as they think they do when it comes to men. This is one of those unique character pieces that they throw into, uh, you know, the, the 10 to 1 sketches sometimes. It was interesting because, you know, it, it brings to mind the last call sketches that highlight Kate a lot. It's been a while since we've seen one of those, but I'm happy that they're giving AD more, you know, time to develop this. And I thought she did it... A, a pretty good job. I couldn't unfortunately get the the idea out of my head of if Melissa McCarthy was hosting and played this character, how would that work? Which I, I think that 80 is a, a fantastically talented cast member, but this also kind of screamed a Melissa McCarthy character to me. Yeah. And that's probably unfair because I'm guessing 80 probably wrote it for herself. So oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the thing. Unfortunately, that is the comp you're going to think of as Melissa McCarthy. And yeah, I I'm always a fan of getting more 80 on the show. She has a different voice than you normally hear. She's always she's a kind of a little off as a performer, which I appreciate. She does some dark stuff. So it's one of those things. She started really strong in her tenure on SNL. And you don't really see her that much anymore, which I think is a shame because I always thought she was a very strong cast member. So, yeah, anything to give her more airtime. I thought this was a fun sketch. Again, we got to see Heidi Gardner in a sketch again, which that's the future of SNL. You got to use her more. Um, Yeah, it was I don't have a whole lot to say about the sketch other than. It was a it was a cute little character piece. I appreciated it. I like the catfishing stuff and uh, nice of Kyle Mooney to make another appearance in the sketch. So I know he was in the the very beginning and the very end. Uh, yeah. I guess af- after they were able to maybe that was a deal. OK, we'll put the good the good neighbor sketch in the pre update section last week. If, if you're not going to be in the in the show this week, there are some fun lines in here uh, like 
specifically Bunny's aspects about her life, like how she has eight male roommates and is a chef at a male prison. Uh, I loved the line, by the time I get to the, his door, ding dong, it's full beef. Uh, I just love the euphemisms that that like her and Kate McKinnon's alien abduction character like to throw in there. And then the revelation that Bunny is 27. I thought <laughs> it was just a, a nice touch there at the end. So, yeah, definitely not the worst 10 to 1 sketch. And if it's a way to highlight a have someone try out a character, I'm all for it. Sure. I mean, that's why that that slot in the show exists. Try out new stuff. So go for it. I was a, it was a fun sketch. All right. So do you have any notes? Uh, I know you're the rich replacement. Do you have any notes in particular about the good nights from this week? <laughs> oh, was he a good nights guy? He was a good nights guy. Uh, but we we can totally have that element rest with rich as well. If you didn't find anything <laughs> noteworthy about it. I wasn't aware we were supposed to do. I did not prepare for that section <laughs> of this podcast. Um, I was too busy thinking how amazing Willie is and how not amazing the good nights are. And I hate with no disrespect to Rich, but like <laughs> we got to we got to talk about Willie more. I'm sorry. We I hope he's on every episode. Well, maybe we'll see him in a month or so. And I realized after Rich and I recorded the last episode and we said, why are they doing four in a row? Total dum-dum forgot that the Winter Olympics were coming and they were going to take a month-long hiatus to obviously deal with that because NBC is the home of the Winter Olympics if the you know lower third has not told you that already. But we're coming back on March 3rd with host Charles Barkley. Believe it or not, Mario, Charles Barkley's fourth time hosting. <laughs> He's soon to enter the five-timers club. What do you think about Charles Barkley as a host overall? What should we expect from him in a month? Yeah, because that's the guy you want anchoring your comedy show for. <laughs> no, I mean, I like Charles Barkley. He's very outspoken. He if you listen to him in interviews, he has a lot to say. He's a very uh, kind of a wild card. But on SNL, it's not really where he's meant to be. So I appreciate that he does the show. He's a good sport. I like when athletes take themselves out of their comfort zone. But it's not I can almost guarantee right now it's not going to be a an episode that's going to go down as a classic or anything. And again, with with your non-sports background, perhaps there's very little in it for you. But I, I mean, yeah, I like seeing Barkley go out of his comfort zone, but I it's a uh, it would be a, a stretch to say it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think probably the more noteworthy than Charles Barkley's appearances on SNL is Keenan's impression of Charles Barkley, which I think we saw as soon as the Kevin Hart episode when uh, Kevin Hart was, did that Shaq thing with stilts. So hopefully we'll sort of get a, you know, maybe an in the cage type of thing with Barkley versus Barkley. Who's to say, but we'll be back a month from now, albeit in a bit of a different form. We talked a little bit at the end of the last podcast about there was how there was going to be some transitional elements. Uh, we have been super lucky that when we came back, Post Show Recaps was kind enough to host us, even though we were a little bit of an offshoot. We weren't on the main feed. Uh, starting after that pot, after this podcast, that connection is no longer going to be available so you won't be able to find this podcast on the post show recap site mario and i will still be doing podcasts don't worry in fact if you're listening to this right now and you're subscribed to our feed you don't need to do anything if you're subscribed to this feed it's still gonna be the same feed we're still gonna be bringing you episodes albeit it might be a different name a different style a different format a different uh guest coming in what have you but it's still there is still going to be an snl podcast it is just not going to be hosted on post show recaps that being said super special shout out to scott st pierre and rob sesternino for housing this podcast for so many years especially as i mentioned you know for the past couple of years when we were sort of operating on the site but doing our own thing 
But just so you guys know, once we come back in March, we'll, we will not be on Post Show Recap. So if you have any thoughts that you'd like to send us about the episode, social media would be the place to do it. Since obviously you, you wouldn't be able to comment on the Post Show Recaps website. Uh, you can follow me as always at a Mike Bloom type. Mario, how can people follow you on social media? And is there anything else you want to plug in terms of podcasts? Oh, I'd love to. Let's see here. What can I plug? You can reach me on Twitter at, at Mario J. Lanza. Uh, let's see. I uh, have a podcast called Staff Picks that I'm work- I just started up where I talk about movies that are kind of underrated or underloved and maybe need more attention in the world. Just look up Staff Picks. I write a ton about Survivor. My website's called the Funny 115, funny115.com. And uh, I think that's it for now. I may have more stuff in the future, but that's really... Uh, if you want to find me, I'm out there. I got plenty of stuff. And... Uh, in regards to Mike and our show being re- rebranded and pulled away, it's like they always say, Willie, you're about to be pulled away from your mama's teeth. <laughs> I could not think of a better way to end the episode. Uh, Mario, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this, this, I had a lot of fun getting to talk about this episode. Once we come back, I might have to redo my rankings because this is definitely shot up for me. Maybe even top five, baby of the season so thanks so much for coming on thank you all for listening again just as a heads up if you're subscribed to this snl feed via your podcaster of choice you don't need to do anything but we may come back in a different form but in terms of the post show recap side uh, thank you so much for listening to us via post show recaps uh but for now you may take care goodbye have a great february and we will talk to you again in march